0: Our Bible reading comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4-12. to 12. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us.
1: Now, Mishimi, most of us here have studied a bit of science before. Even if you haven't studied science at university level, you've probably studied at school, right? If so, then you might remember that one of the fundamental ideas in biology is the distinction between living things and non living things. The field of biology itself is only concerned with living things, isn't it? Non living things are left to the other fields of science to deal with. But what are the characteristics of living things? Well, living things obviously have life living things are able to develop and grow and respond to their environment they're also designed to reproduce but they also die don't they on the other hand non-living things don't grow they don't reproduce and they don't have to worry about death so a cat is a living thing isn't it plants are living things. We humans are living things. But soil, rocks, stones, and variations on those things, these are non living. They don't have life. Now, according to science, a stone doesn't have life. Stones can't grow or respond to their environment or reproduce themselves. But on the spiritual level, things are a little bit different. In 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 4, Peter describes Christ as being a living stone. How does that work? Christ's a stone that lives? We need to ask, in what way is Jesus like a stone? Well, in the Old Testament, Costly or precious stones are recorded as being used in the construction of the temple in Jerusalem in the days of Solomon. And it's clear from our passage today in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, that Peter's describing a spiritual temple. God's people are pictured as a temple. It's not a literal temple made of inanimate stones, but a spiritual temple made up of Living components. Each believer is like a stone, and together we make up a living entity, like living cells that go together to make up a body. And Jesus is described here by Peter as being the foundation stone, which is also called the cornerstone. The cornerstone was typically the first stone to be laid down when a building was being built, and it functioned to support and orient the structure that would be built on and around it. This description of Jesus as the cornerstone tells us that Jesus is the foundation of spiritual life and worship for God's people. Through his life, we also live. And being alive, we have strength and energy to be able to serve God. Peter pictures Jesus as a living stone who's chosen and precious in God's eyes but sadly rejected by many people. We, however, if we're Christians, we haven't rejected Jesus. Instead, we've come to him. We've turned to him for life. And as we come to him, Peter reminds us in verse 5 that we also are like living stones ourselves and we're being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Founded on Jesus and the new life that he gives us, we Christians are organized to be like priests who offer up sacrifices that are acceptable to God. As living stones within the eternal temple, the purpose of our existence is to serve God in a way that pleases him. In verse 6, Peter quotes from Isaiah 28, verse 16. This helps us to see God's perspective about Jesus. Jesus is the cornerstone who's honoured by God. And everyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, it says in Isaiah. Having placed our trust in Jesus, we'll never be disappointed or let down because God always keeps his promises. Friends, this description of Jesus as the honored cornerstone helps us to understand the importance of Jesus in God's plan for the world. Jesus is the foundation. He's the key element that brings all of God's people together so that God's plan of salvation will succeed. So that means that if we depend upon Jesus, we become a brick in the wall of this eternal temple. Through faith in Jesus, we experience new life to join together with the rest of God's people in sacrificially serving God. How wonderful it is to be able to be a part of God's eternal temple dedicated to serving him. Nonetheless, we should keep in mind at this point that not everyone has this privilege. This can be seen in verses 7 and 8. And the first clause in verse 7 is a bit ambiguous Literally, it says, to you who believe, therefore, there is honour. But what's the honour that's in view here? Is it the honour that believers receive as a result of their faith in Jesus? Or is it the honour that believers show to Jesus? Different versions of the Bible actually split on this question. For example, the translators of the King James Bible and the New International Version think that the honour in question is the honour that believers give to Jesus. But the English Standard Version goes the other way. It's true that believers will be honoured by God when Jesus returns. Peter's already mentioned that idea in chapter 1, verse 7. Perhaps we're meant to see the same idea here in chapter 2, verse 7, But there are a couple of things in the immediate context that suggest that maybe it's the honour that believers give to Jesus that's more in view here in verse 7. The first thing is all talk of honour here in chapter 2 so far, it's honour that's been directed to Jesus. In verse 4, Jesus is described as a precious stone, but this word precious could also be translated as honoured. It basically has the word honour within it. The same word is then repeated in verse 6 in the quotation from Isaiah 28. Jesus is the precious cornerstone in the sense that he's honoured and precious in God's eyes. So both verse 4 and verse 6, they link the concept of honour here with Jesus. And on top of this, the second thing to keep in mind is that in verses Seven and eight, after saying that believers have honor, Peter goes on to contrast believers with non believers. And the thing that he mentions about the non believers is that Jesus has been rejected by them. For them, Jesus is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense because they have disobeyed the word of God. And Peter quotes from Psalm 118, verse 22 in verse 7 and Isaiah eight fourteen, in verse 8, to prove this. What then is the contrast that's being drawn here in verses 7 and 8 when Peter is contrasting believers with non-believers? Well, if the focus is on how non-believers have rejected Jesus and stumbled over him, then what's the converse of this? Well, believers show the opposite. Instead of rejecting Jesus, believers honour him, acknowledging that Jesus is the precious cornerstone. In other words, just as God honours Christ and acknowledges just how special and precious Christ is, so too we believers have the same perspective. We've accepted Jesus instead of rejecting him. For us, Jesus isn't a rock that we take offence to and which we stumble over. No, for us, Jesus is the precious cornerstone. His name is to be honoured above all names. And this insight into Jesus' true worth, it carries with it important consequences. At the end of verse 8, Peter mentions how those who stumble over Jesus, they've done so because that's what they've been appointed to. But notice how our destiny as believers is very different. And Peter talks about this in verses 9 and 10. He says, but you believers, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for possession, in order that you might proclaim the virtues of the one who has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You once were not a people, but are now the people of God. They had not been shown mercy, but now have been shown mercy. We see here, once again, Peter is picking up on some key Old Testament verses and images and applying these to the New Covenant and to New Covenant believers in particular. Think about it. Under the Old Covenant, who was the race that was chosen by God to be a royal priesthood and a holy nation and a people for God's possession? Who was that race? Well, in Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6, these descriptors are applied to the people of Israel. Even the content of verse 10, where Peter says, you once were not a people, but are now the people of God. They had not been shown mercy, but now have been shown mercy. This is taken from Hosea chapters 1 and 2, where the people of Israel are in view. But these things which were applied to Israel under the old covenant Peter applies them here without hesitation to us new covenant believers. You see friends we might be exiles and looked down upon or even rejected by the society around us but to God we're chosen to God we're a royal priesthood. To God, we're holy and we're His. Just like Jesus, rejected by the world but honored as precious by God, we also are acknowledged by God as being special as we take our place as living stones within the temple edifice that is founded on Jesus and filled. With his spirit. Last time we saw how God wants us to crave his spoken, unadulterated word so that we might grow. And the purpose of that growth is for us to become a spiritual temple. That's what Peter's telling us today a spiritual temple full of life for the purpose of sacrificial service. Overall, Peter's two main principles are hope and holiness. We've seen these things in chapter 1. And holiness is worked out through fear, love, and our desire for God's word. All of this is with a view to us experiencing life and growing in our service of God. And the rest of Peter's letter is basically concerned to spell out these principles in various situations. Verses 11 and 12 actually mark the transition from the principles of hope, holiness, fear, love, and desire. It moves through these things, through the idea of growth. This is at the beginning of his letter. And then... After these verses here in verses 11 and 12, we get instruction for how to live our lives as exiles within the world in particular situations, how to sacrificially serve God while living here in this world. As loved brothers and sisters, Peter encourages us In verses 11 and 12, in our status as foreigners and exiles in the world, basically, what are we to do? Well, it can be summarized in two points. Firstly, we're to stay away from the fleshly desires that wage war against the soul. And secondly, we're to keep our behavior good among the Gentiles in order that when they slander you, he says, is doing evil, Well, observing your good works, they might glorify God on the day in which he visits. So basically, we can see here that from Peter's perspective, as foreigners and exiles, we're to live our life here on earth by keeping away from sin and by continuing to do good. Friends, don't focus on the opposition. Focus instead on the privilege that it is to serve God as one of those living stones that make up the spiritual temple. Commit yourself to serving him and doing good for his glory. You see, overall, in accordance with the picture that Peter is drawing for us here, God is in the process of building his spiritual temple. So, make sure you take your place as a living and precious stone within this sanctuary founded on Christ that God is building. To be part of God's eternal temple, there really is no greater privilege than that. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we thank you that today we've had this opportunity to continue our study in First Peter and to focus a little on the picture that he draws about this spiritual temple that God is in the process of building. And how each of us believers, we're like living stones that are built together to make up this spiritual temple But we're all founded upon the cornerstone, this precious cornerstone, who is Christ himself, the ultimate living stone. Lord God, we know that this living stone, this cornerstone, precious in your eyes, honoured by you, but yet he was rejected by the world. And we know that this rejection, in part, will still continue. And we ourselves as living stones, well, what happened to Jesus will also happen to us. We too will experience opposition and rejection. But we thank you, Lord God, that just as Jesus is precious and honoured in your sight, that we know ourselves as we're part of this temple complex, this spiritual dwelling. And in the end, we too will be honoured and glorified. Lord God, we thank you for how Jesus is the key to all of this. And we pray that you would help us to acknowledge that fact, to see that truth, and to want to be part of this temple-building process. We ask, Lord God, that you would help us to see that our relationship with you is the key thing for which we have been born into this world. You want us to be part of this temple. You want us to experience your presence. You want us to witness your glory and to be like priests who serve before you. And we ask Lord God that through the power of your spirit that you would encourage us to take our place as living stones, as bricks within the wall of your temple. For your glory we pray. Amen.
0: All right, so now we're going to get into some q and right, We've got two to, to uh, kick us off. So first question, Steve, uh, is each person a temple or are we a temple together?
1: Yeah, thanks for that, Nelson. You can hear me okay? Yeah. Yeah, like I think in terms of the picture that, Peter is drawing for us here, it's definitely that there's only one temple and each person is like a brick within that temple. And you can see that from Jesus himself. He is the ultimate living stone. He's the cornerstone. So it's like he's the first living stone. And all of the other living stones, which are us believers, we're all built upon him to form this complex, which is the temple. Okay, so it's a little bit like each believer is like a cell within the body of Christ. It's that kind of image. So, definitely here in terms of how Peter is using this image of a temple, it's each person is an element within the biggest structure which is the temple so you can think of the temple here it's a bit like the church you could say or the kingdom of god ultimately really the way the bible looks at this idea of the temple we know that in the old testament times the temple was restricted to one location there in jerusalem but ultimately that's a little picture of how god is actually created planet earth to be his temple so each person who is going to be part of the kingdom of God, which will exist eternally after Jesus returns, well, we're part of that eternal temple, which ultimately will be the whole world, but with God's people there inhabiting the world and serving God. That's, that's the picture ultimately that the Bible has for us regarding the temple.
0: All right, amazing. Hopefully that clarifies it for the person. Um, Just seems we've got just one more question. So somebody's just asking, can you please explain the slide bit about honour? So I think referring to Chapter 2, Verses 7. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the question is the first little bit of Verse 7. It's a little bit hard to understand what honour is being referred to there. So the literal translation is, to you who believe, therefore, there is honour. And so that can be taken two ways. Is that the honour that we ourselves receive from God or is it the honour that we show to Jesus? In other words, the honour that we show by acknowledging that Jesus is the precious cornerstone just like God does. And in a way, both things are true. And I mentioned how in chapter 1, verse 7, Peter's already talked about the idea of how on the final day, If we're there and accepted by God through faith in Jesus, then we will receive praise and honour and glory from God, which is an amazing thing to think about, that we'll actually be, in a sense, rewarded by God. Not that we ultimately deserve it, but through the power of his spirit, he moves us to live for him and to serve him. And according to his promise, he promises those who serve him will be blessed. And that blessing is the blessing of ultimate reward, really. So it's amazing to think about. It's all out of God's grace, but at the same time, there is an element by which God rewards us. So it's amazing to think about that. And Peter talks about that in chapter 1, verse 7. So the question is, oh, when he says here in chapter 2, verse 7, to you who believe, therefore, there is honour, is he talking about the same thing as he does back in chapter 1, verse 7? And some Bible translators, they take it that way, and that's how they translate it. Uh, but I think probably the majority go the other way, which is, I think, maybe the way that I'm suggesting how it should be taken here, although, as I said, it's only maybes at this point. Now, the question is the immediate context here. In the immediate context, what's the honour that's being talked about here? And so I said, well, the honour is the honour that God is showing Jesus. And then the, after this particular problem clause, we see the idea of unbelievers rejecting Jesus. Okay. So that then suggests that, well, believers are not like unbelievers who reject Jesus, but believers are those who accept or honor Jesus. Okay. See, so I think the immediate context, context here probably just pushes it slightly in the favor of the honor that's being talked about in verse seven is the honor that we show to Jesus by acknowledging that he's the cornerstone. Uh, but in a way, honor also comes to us too, because in the very next verses where it talks about us being a chosen people a royal priesthood, all of that well how honorable is that you know we have amazing honor that god shows us in calling us to be his people so there might even be some people who think oh this little bit in verse seven here is deliberately ambiguous because both things apply well maybe that's a little bit hard to know so that's just the issue there that exists with the first part of verse seven Uh, but the key really here is to see the word precious that's translated as precious that's actually honorable too it's the same word and so you can see those connections here if you're working from the original language which is greek so it's a little bit tricky but ultimately jesus is the precious cornerstone and we as believers accept that as we accept him that way we also become a part of this temple which is honored by god by god being present right, and by God showering down blessing. And keep in mind here that from an Old Testament perspective, what a godly Israelite wanted more than anything else was to be there in the temple with God. Think about Psalm 23, right at the end of Psalm 23, the, the psalmist talks about being able to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And ultimately, this is what Peter's talking about here, that through our faith in Jesus, we become part of this eternal dwelling place with God. In other words, God is here with us and we get to live with him forever and to serve him. Ultimately, that's the picture that Peter is drawing for us here. It's a wonderful picture, really.
0: Awesome. All right. Beautiful insight and hopefully uh, the person who uh, asked that question has a better understanding.